Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Bear Guys and Tua T Fitness. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is a Friday the 13th edition. Today, we're talking Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. It's my favorite of the series. <laughs> my name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man with blood all over his happy face, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. Does he think I'm a fart head? Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm che- I'm cheering both the call and response. It's really I, well. I guess uh, it's yeah. On the line. I I took special note of that because I was rewatching this movie today, and I wrote down yes, <laughs> and then I think I thought I think they actually say yeah uh, yeah. Oh, I thought you maybe you were looking back at your notes going, I don't remember Rick Wakeman in any of these <laughs> movies, but I guess he was there. Well, actually, he he fit in just right in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting, like, it's interesting because as for reasons I still don't fully understand, this is third on my list. <laughs> and yet even that hard cut is I think superior to the muffin hot dog cut. There's a couple of great hard cuts in this movie. Yeah. That made me, and it, it goes back to exactly what we were talking about at the time about editing a movie with thought and with right. wit and with some style. Not, yeah, not just because yeah. the, the two pieces of film have to go together in some Exactly. Form, right? Yeah. yeah. It may, and it's funny because I rewatched this movie today and I thought, oh, man, I hope it's still at the top of my list. And I'm I'm still just as pleased with this movie on another viewing. It's 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 delightful. Yeah, it, it's it's a, one of those movies that is so intellectually captivating that it is always going to grow and grow. Yeah. Like I. I Yes, I guarantee yes, yes. the next the next time I see it, I'll find another layer uh, of of intertextuality that I hadn't seen before, or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, th- this I, I've seen this movie several times, and I, I think I've said this on previous episodes. But this time, the the redemption arc of Tommy Jarvis really stood out to me as going above and beyond right. what we needed right, right. <laughs> what we needed to do in this movie to conclude this mini trilogy quite yeah <laughs> and i i guess if you look at it like that it almost seems planned but yeah right. but we know it was not it feels like an extra step but one that's very welcome it's just the good work of tom mclaughlin indeed now why is why is tom <laughs> what are you parched tom... Uh, yeah, I've never am, seen you mid-talk just start gulping water. <laughs> Choking here. Um, why? Here's a question for you. Okay. And I'll say it in a way that I'll allow you to cut around what just happened. Um, which you won't do now because you'll think it's funny to leave it in. Because I know you. Um, 
You don't know what why I'm going to do. Why is Tom McLaughlin not talked about in the same league as Joe Dante or John Landis? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked this question. I thought of somebody different because oh. it relates back to horror. Well, not that they don't relate to horror, but specifically to sequels. I was thinking, mm. why aren't people talking about Tom McLaughlin in the same way that we talk about Frank Darabont? who got his start with the Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I made that direct kind of connection because he's so good in this movie. I thought this guy should be in our lives way more. Yeah, and he's he's definitely, (laughs) and I mean this, I I mean this in the nicest possible way. But I get what you're saying because of the comedy angle with Dante. The comedy, yeah, the the mastery of comedy horror, I think. Um, which I associate with those two. And I mean this in the nicest possible way, but he, yeah, Tom McLaughlin on the basis of this movie is certainly far more Frank Darabont than Mick Garrick, <laughs> who I feel like are kind of opposite ends of that director scale. Sure. They're kind of making sort of the same kinds of movies, but in a very different, different way. way, with very different levels of success. Well, we've talked before, well, we've talked several times in this series about the connection to the Star Trek series. Yeah. And here's another connection because this film feels very literate. Absolutely. The tone of this, uh, it, it, there's definitely a parallel to, um, to uh, what's the name of that? Undiscovered, Undiscovered Country. Country? Okay. That's what I yeah. thought you were going for. You even introduced it as literate and I still couldn't pull the <laughs> literary reference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just that idea of sort of going back to the well of of genre fiction within your, you know, within and without your, um, you know, your formula. Mm-hmm. Because we talked when we did this, did the Undiscovered Country, they, they went, you know, they, they went to sort of Agatha Christie murder mystery. Yeah. Um, and Sherlock Holmes stories. And here, you know, it's a little, it's a little more analogous because it's, um, still within the horror genre, but it's very gothic. <clears throat> yeah, Frank, you got Frankenstein, the Universal Monster mm-hmm. cycle, which he obviously so, cares about. Oh, I guess even James Bond as well. I mean, <laughs> that's a reference he pulls out of literally left field. Nobody will take credit for that, but well, yeah, and it's it's interesting because that's not just a. That's not just superficial. Like it, it's actually doing that has a real purpose. It's so funny, Tom. The first time, like I, when I first watched this movie, again, saw it for the first time for the purposes of the podcast. Yeah, I had crazy. to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. I loved it. Yeah, and we'll get there and relatively quickly. But I have a lot to say about why that that's a, also an intelligent choice. Okay. <laughs> that is very te- very telling about the movie you're about to see. Yeah, right. As well as being entertaining and hilarious, as you as you suggest. Well, we'll get to it, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason Lives. It's a 1986 movie, as we said, directed by Tom McLaughlin. You know, he's got other movies: One Dark Night, Date with an Angel, The Unsaid. These are all movies I don't know, though. I wish no, I did. No, I. Yeah, and I wonder. It, it makes me. It makes me wonder. You know, of the difference between a, a Tom McLaughlin and a Joe Dante, mm-hmm. is more about luck 
yeah that... being in the being in the right place at the right time than it is necessarily about talent because on the evidence of this movie he could you know he could have made a howling or he could have made right. an american werewolf in london but i i was gonna say that it also i think maybe it has to do with uh the people you came up with because sure. you know dante had spielberg in his corner early on and even though he's doing a, an exploitative movie of one of Spielberg's biggest hits, he's like, I'm going to hire that guy. Attention. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to hire that guy to, to, to do yeah. one of my next movies that I'm going to produce. And so maybe McLaughlin just didn't have those people around, you know, you know, people that popped in the same way that I think he does in this movie. I was also fascinated to learn from Camp Crystal Lake Memories that that he was he comes from the world of mime artistry i know it's so funny (laughs) and all the mimes he put into this movie yeah and you know (laughs) that it worked before i even knew that i had several notes about how precise the 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 physical comedy right finding out (laughs) that they are the uh you know for a reason artists of the um los angeles mime company i'm like okay well that explains why (laughs) When I was watching the Camp Crystal Lake memories and that part came up, it took me back immediately to my college education, my degree in theater and taking mime classes. And I, 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 I thought, I thought, I thought to myself, I, when I was in that class, I didn't think it could take me that far. Yeah, this is this is neither the time nor the place. Somehow, I don't know what the forum for this would be, but I need to have a full-on half-hour conversation with you about your experience in mind class. I think there's definitely lots there's of a boxes. Bonus episode in lots there. of boxes. Yeah. Well, were you working? Were you working in a box factory in your uh, yeah. in your your uh, mime scenario? Absolutely. Well, this movie is the high watermark from Rotten Tomatoes. Not that you care, but fifty percent. So, to a certain extent, at just fifty percent, yeah. yeah, that's an insult. I reject your offer, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh, I thought you were. Counter- I thought you were laying that at my feet. <laughs> you were rejecting my offer. No, well, no, but it's. I, Mike Schatz, can go fuck yeah. myself. I I await your counter. <laughs> You know what's funny though, and they talk about that in Camp Crystal Lake Memories. This movie's the total opposite in terms of money. A budget of three million dollars, opening weekend of six point seven in the USA and the world, just nineteen point four. I mean, obviously it still turns a profit, but this is one of the yeah. this is like the one of the lowest grossing movie. Well, this is the lowest grossing of the movies we're watching at the front half of this series. And that, to me, is just a bummer. It just it shows you how displeased I think the fans were with number five. Yeah. And it's all circumstantial, isn't it? Because it's, the, yeah, like you say, it's all, all to do with what came before it. Yeah. You know, it speaks to the the complacency of audiences to think that, that they couldn't turn it around again. Mm-hmm. And how remarkable it is that, that not only did they turn it around, they produced one of the best films in the series. Totally. Arguably the best. All right, well, let's get to it. Mm. I don't remember this upon a second viewing. Was there some sort of credit right before we went into the cold open? Because I said, nope. straight to credits, question mark, then wrote no. Yeah. It's remarkable. I mean, this film begins 
with a blistering pace. It really it does, yeah. It through the cold open into the opening scenes of the movie. Yes. It's like, uh, it is, it's like, it's almost, you know, and I'm on, I, I, I'm reading in to this given what Tom McLaughlin I know is interested in, mm-hmm. which is uh, Hollywood and comedy. Uh, it feels like his Girl Friday, you know, that, that sort of break yeah. screwball pace. Right. Which, you know, was, was once clocked as the fastest movie of all, of all time. And this is kind of <laughs> aiming for the same territory, I think, in those early scenes. Yeah, but he, what I like about it, too, is that there's still, he still has moments of, you know, like one of the things he starts with is just a dog eating roadkill. And then, yeah. and then Tommy's truck comes barreling around the corner. Right. And then pretty soon we see some, um, you know, I'll skip ahead just for your point, but I'm going back. Yeah, sure. Don't worry, I'll loop back. Uh, the rotting corpse is covered in worms. It's like more gross out horror and humor than we've had in this series. Plus, I think it looks before. really good. Yeah, it looks great. I, I mean, over, what what is what is great about this movie conceptually is that it, stylistically it knows what it wants. Mm-hmm. And it marshals everything towards that goal. So nothing looks kind of cheap and or out of place because the movie knows exactly what it wants to achieve artistically. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I can't disagree. And even in that, even in those first moments, because we kind of rack focus from the dog to the car speeding around the corner and the dog scampers off. And it could be very jarring for the audience to to get as heavy a surrogate as we get in this movie, because we're immediately going to see a different Tommy Jarvis. And not only is it a different actor, but he seems clearly in a different place. The last time we saw Tommy, it looked like he was about to do some murder. So I, and I think, I think one of the, you know, but you don't have a sense. Like, I guess my point is, is as an audience member, you don't feel jilted by that. You feel like you're in safe hands immediately. Well, I think, I think that's part also why part, partly partly why things are got moving so fast is that uh, that's know, a good point. You don't want the audience, you don't want no, the audience no to time. stop and think about. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want the audience to stop and think about what's happening, which is that is that the character who was revealed to you as a psychopathic killer in the final moments of the last film is now very much our hero, right? Uh, a very and a complete seemingly a completely uncomplicated hero, and the recasting is interesting because you know to be fair to a new beginning this tommy jarvis looks no more like Corey feldman than than <laughs> sure than right uh they also don't look like each other which is interesting yes bearing in mind the actor tom i always forget his uh, his uh, second name tom i want to say tom matthews andrew but tom matthews there we go it is between return of the living dead movies right now mm-hmm so clearly, he is the right man for the type of movie they want to make, sure. and to establish the tone of the movie they want to make. Mm-hmm. But let's not kid ourselves that this guy looks like Corey Feldman or the other guy <laughs> that that Corey Feldman was recast with. Yeah, absolutely. And we've just got to accept that you know whatever happened in the in whatever times elapsed between these two movies. He, Tommy really got his act together. But at the same time, because he's riding in the car with Horshack, and Horshack references that they, I don't know if they come from an asylum. That they come from an asylum. I couldn't, I couldn't really yeah. suss out 
Were they still living there yeah. or just the got out? But to, it doesn't the matter. It doesn't want you. Yeah. That's why it's going so fast. Totally. <laughs> so you don't ask these questions. <laughs> and it's the correct choice. Absolutely. And you know what? It's a better choice than retconning the last movie. Mm-hmm. And that really struck me. I seem to remember on Crystal Lake Memories that they almost just kind of ignored five. As, as if it might not have yeah. happened. Right, but exactly, as if it might not have happened, but not spend, you know, not right. um, taking pride in erasing. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Which is what movies do now, and this movie makes you realize you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. People will instantly forget about what came before without you <laughs> right. doing the work for them. It... If, if what you're producing is good enough, and this is... No, more than good enough. Well, exactly, because to take the bad taste out of your mouth. I was just glancing at my notes, and my notes said, "Did Tommy kill Pam in the last movie?" Question <laughs> mark. Right. Yeah. And then next to it, I wrote, "This." Mo- and then possibly Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. I, next to it, I wrote, "This movie doesn't seem to care." No, it it really it, it we're we're both we're starting so <laughs> it's a it's a weird storytelling uh kind of fork in the road. Because we're we're six movies into the series, we're in the third Tommy Jarvis movie, right? And we're starting afresh. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and all of that is happening at once, and the only way to adequately represent that on screen simultaneously is, is through have chaos. A really fast car, <laughs> yeah, a really fast car barreling through the scene. Yeah, but when we get to the graveyard. I notice a few things that I really like directorially in this kind of scene. Usually you have, cause they're, they're searching for the gravestone. And so there's lots of close up shots of him kind of looking around, but then he does this yeah. big establishing shot, this big kind of wide shot of yeah. Tommy walking around the grave. And I thought to myself, I don't know that anybody else would have done that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and it's, What's great about this movie is, you know, it 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 sets out to establish a gothic atmosphere from from second Minute, one. Yeah, M- the moon, the clouds, the smoke, the dog eating the animal. Mm-hmm. When we get to the cemetery, it's pure Victorian gothic. Totally. E- even the style of gravestone is different from the ones we've seen before in the series. <laughs> right. You know, these kind of like rural hick roadside gravestones right. we've now gone full ornate ornate sure uh, crucifix style mm-hmm. um gravestones and they're at a real graveyard so and that that gives that makes a huge, that difference, makes a huge yeah. difference for your movie yeah absolutely and essentially what's interesting about it again we're at this fork in the road essentially doing the open scene the opening scene from the last film but for real yeah <laughs> but it's not a dream right so it's it's almost like it's almost kind of capitalizing on what could have been. Well, and I also that's, al- that's already happened, but was yeah was kind of uh, retcon. And there's a part of me that kind of wonders if, like, is this in any way a fuck you to Danny Steinman? Like, I'm gonna do the thing that no, you did, so. but we're gonna do it because I in the last movie that I think that's one of his most effective scenes. So I don't know that it's a fuck you know, a fuck you, but it's really interesting that they decide to do the same thing again. I, I just think, yeah, I think it's, a di- it's literally, it's a different choice. It's, it's, a, it's a narrative divergence. It's like, you know, you did it as a dream sequence and then, and then did something totally different. Mm-hmm. This is my starting point of the story. 
I also think it's interesting character wise because if Tommy never opens up the grave, hmm. none of this takes place. He sure, yeah, it's a self fulfilling self fulfilling pro- prophecy. It's it's your hero. The first thing your hero is doing is fucking up. But because of the journey we've been on with Tommy, you know, we can understand that. <laughs> we get him yeah, wanting to it, make sure that this guy's gone forever. I guess I guess I'm, you know, for for the for the sake of comedy, I'm I'm underestimating that this is still a traumatized character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that his all his actions in opening scenes are him trying to um cathartically right uh overcome his trauma, which is what we've kind of what we've been following him with the whole time. It's just that he, you know, he's a different actor and a different character. Right. And, that, and that, but that all that's kind of reading at, at, at once. I suppose it's the in the it's the kind of comic tinge to the performances that comes across as well. Like you, you feel like you're dealing with comic actors mm-hmm. for the first time, not just actors doing comedy. Right. Often quite badly <laughs> in previous attempts, you know. And so you know, you go you go in even in this first scene. It's like okay, I get it. Supernatural horror comedy. That's that's the world that we're in. Um, sure, and we stay in that world for the rest of the movie, and that's almost enough <laughs> uh, to make it a good movie. It's far more, like I said, it's far more than that in in several different ways. Well, because you as a as 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 a kind of backbone to the movie, that can't really be beaten, right? Tonally, I have to. I I kind of wonder tonally too, because with the casting of Ron Paio, am I saying that right? Paio, Paio, maybe. Anyway, Horshack. He's Horshack. Horshack. I was going to say, I don't know why you're torturing yourself. <laughs> you, you know you're going to keep referring to him as Horshack. That's true. But how purposeful is that casting? Is that a wink and a nod to the audience? Because he's kind of doing bits in the beginning of this? <laughs> because he because he's in a show called Welcome Back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. They're doing Welcome Back, Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think everything in this movie is is a nod and a nod and a wink, and, yeah. and and by an art, a director who knows how to nod and wink. I mean, that's that's the difference. the difference. A, he knows how to how to how to nod and wink, but he also knows how long to kind of let the joke go, yes, because it's not yes. too long before the hand goes through his chest and his heart is ripped out. Well, I mean, and it makes a difference, back. you know. It's the the age old rules established in the days of um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. The comedy oh, such a be good movie. Funny as poss- the comedy's got to be as funny as possible, and the horror's got to be as scary yeah. as possible. And all great comedy horror movies observe that logic. I think, and this is another example of that. Yeah, and I think part of what's become a disservice to this movie is what the MPAA did to it, because mm-hmm. it yeah. could have been even scarier. It's got good kind of scary parts but they really took a hatchet to this movie and it got yeah and and it's but it almost it almost benefited the movie because there's points in the movie where i was watching this and you know it's just kids Mm -hmm. um and there's not too much violence it's kind of like is this a could this could you show this movie to your kids and i mean the answer is obviously no right but the fact that i'm even asking that question says a lot about how how it's um, pitched yeah that this movie is is almost family friendly yeah right but not quite but almost (laughs) (laughs) i go back and forth 
You'd have a you'd have an easier time editing this movie for like a midday showing on AMC than you would. Yeah, sure. You know, with most movies of this kind. Absolutely. And Tommy and Horshack are at the grave. We've got lots of bits about him. You're not going to do this, are you? And he's so he's digging up the grave. Then he says, "You're not going to open that, are you?" And he opens it up. And then, yeah, you're not gonna. We're good. He's dead. We're gonna go now, right? And he takes that wrought iron piece of the mm-hmm. gate and starts stabbing him. Like you know, like the fucking maggots are jumping all over the place. It's a really cool right. looking. I don't know that yeah. it's a puppet, but you know what I mean. It it looks cool. Yeah, absolutely. Followed absolutely. by the literal gothic moment of lightning striking it and bringing him yeah. back to life, and even kind of how the, the the bluish glow of the yes, it's really it's it's really cool. It, it's yeah, it's making firstly, it's making fit after skirting around it for several movies. Now Jason is officially a zombie. Yeah, right. Right. And they're and, even uh, kind of uh, showing that but, in the uh well, maybe not zombie in the eye, but lots of close-ups on his eye in this movie. Definitely. Yeah. At least the outside of it you can see the decay. Well, all that gro- you know, all that grossness uh, that is uh, comes from the zombie, you know, the milieu movie, well, as as recently as, you know, a uh, year before in Return of the Living Dead, yeah. which starred Tom Matthews. Yeah. But he's also, so they're locating Jason in the tradition of the George Romero zombie. And it's, you know, and it's uh, descendants, <laughs> um, licensed or otherwise. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, the lightning aspect of it means he's also Frankenstein's monster. So exactly. you've got the, you've got that universal Gothic horror cycle but what it what this all means is what is what was the latent supernatural in earlier films is now explicit. It's there for all to see, and that's what Tom McLaughlin set out to do. He, he wanted, wanted the ground, ground rules, yeah, ground rules for Jason, and uh, he comes lit swinging out of the cemetery gates. I think I've made that <laughs> joke before. And now, and also something else this clears up. Not that the scene is just about you know, kind of uh, clearing uh, clearing up um, previous narrative problems. But Jason now demonstrates super strength, yeah. which again was something you sort of knew about Jason, but it's now officially part of canon. Right. He's got he's got lightning strength. Yeah. He's got old man lightning strength. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> old man. Lightning. So you know, we're just sort of, I guess, sort of, you know, dotted. We we're just sort of crossing the i's and dotting the lowercase j's. <laughs> Crossing the T's and and jutting the what is it? What's the what's the quote? Crossing is that from the, the movie? No, it's from Wayne's World too. I mean, it might as well be oh. a line from this movie. But... Shit, I don't. And remember. then of course, uh, the barrel, the gun barrel style axe throwing it at, at, at the screen. Well, he's got he's slicing with the machete, I think, and then. We also get appe- we get a he appears in his own eye. Yeah, exactly. The barrel is an eye. Yeah, he's in, he, sla- he he slashes, and then we re-slash into Friday the Thirteenth, mm. followed by another slash with a gush. This is all animated now when we yeah. get to the title. Nice. But you know, I really kind of adore that they go in this total different direction where even the title is kind of a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah you know well i mean the 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 bond reference is is key in so many ways but 
for me, it cements Jason as the star attraction of the franchise, right? Yes, right. And th- and again, this is the first time we've we've said this out loud <laughs> officially. Right. It's all you know. It's like so basic. Jason wasn't part of the original movie. Mm-hmm. Then he was, and then a couple of movies later, he gets he his him. mask. <laughs> He's not in the last movie at all, except in dreams. Yeah. And um, and this movie's basically saying is no. This is the guy. Friday the third. This is yeah, why you're here. Friday. Exactly. This is why you're here. Yeah. Which is why the Bond analogy is so um, fitting. Mm-hmm. Because you can't have a Bond film without James Bond, and and likewise you can't have a Friday the Thirteenth movie without Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and that's that's the. We basically said he is now a legacy character. Right. Yeah. For the first time, he's which your is guy. Bonkers, because because it's movie six, but <laughs> that's again Tom McLaughlin. He saw that opening to 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 sort of bring those finishing touches to so many things that the previous movies had uh, had kind of established but never concretized. Mm-hmm. So good. I mean, that's that's real real foresight, I think. To do all that, agreed. And he's and as the as the titles make clear, he's writing and directing. So yeah, when I say Tom McLaughlin, I mean Tom McLaughlin, right? And on top of that, you're getting kind of a familiar score, but it's different. It's for this movie, and the titles look more Hammer Horror to me. Yeah, like it. It's like it's like I can tell the desire is to go back to a to an older and camper style of horror movie, a kind of pre-slasher idea of what a horror movie is. Mm-hmm. Not not in a way that sort of scoffs at the slasher in any respect. No, no. But it wants to play on traditions that have deeper roots than, you know, the, the movies made in the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Well, and then once the credits end, I like that McLaughlin just keeps the pace tommy comes into Crazy. the police station he comes Relentless. in hot i'd have thrown him in jail i yeah. at that moment i'm on the cop's side even though the, that's the interesting the, yeah. the cop is kind of he's clearly also being an asshole because hmm. at one point he talks about uh painting his this office with his blood or something like that i can't yeah, remember yeah. exactly well, what yeah, he but says you really, but you don't but also, you, this guy's so endearing, you don't buy it. You That's know it's true. Like fake, <laughs> yeah. You know it's fake, hard-boiled dialogue. <laughs> yes. But I just um, like that we keep going at that pace. Yeah. And well, we talked it's, about it's, this in, you know, like with Shelley, with the, the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. What I like is that, you know, the boy, the, the boy that you should believe, who's not telling a lie ever, is still yeah. the boy they don't believe. <laughs> Right. And that, you know, it's on the basis of the last movie with good reason. That's true. Yes. He might have murdered but, someone. But this is, you know, this is the, the way that the movie put, um, brings you onto Tommy's side mm-hmm. for the first time as well. That um, rather than making you. Because um, we know what he knows and he knows that Jason's back. Yeah. We know we know he's telling the truth and whatever he, he did in the past, it's sort of like he's. However, it's come about, he's genuinely changed. Yeah. Well, we're about to get to uh, 
a, a Tony Goldwyn death. Why don't we let you get a lozenge and take a break? <laughs> so, sorry, yeah, I'm really struggling here. I'm so sorry. I, yeah, no I need to this. apologize. I I didn't mean for this episode to be about my death <laughs> um, in, the, in the same way. Well, we'll take a well, moment just... and we'll just come right back. How about that? All right. I'm not done with the police station yet. I've got a lot to say about that. Yeah, that's yes. fine. We'll be right back. <coughs> I'm going to call 911. <laughs> right after this. to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beer. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Tom is alive, and we're back. <laughs> Breaking news, everyone. <laughs> the podcast goes on. Talk about Horshack. <laughs> All right, where are we? So you had more to say about the police station. Yeah, well, I just, I think the other thing that occurred to me is we're, we're not assuming that viewers have been following the Tommy Jarvis, uh, you know, mini trilogy. And we so we've got to lay down some backstory sure. at the beginning of this movie. And this police station seems quite a fluid self-aware and entertaining way to do it and i think it matters when you have an actor that that can that can throw out some what could be clunky exposition but sure it's written and performed well yeah you know absolutely yeah the idea of um they've changed the name of the town comes out oh the, i lo that is beautifully yeah i mean that changed it to forest green <laughs> I mean, not only is that great kind of satire, I think it also, like, it's world building, right? It adds to the interim mythology. Mm -hmm. Sure. And we don't, you know, we, we've never really considered what the town thinks of what's going on beyond, you know, a few crazy Ralph type characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And police officers. Well, like the I, I like the idea that at some point there was a town meeting and they decided to change the name because of all the bad press they've had. Right. Great. Yeah. On top of that, uh, fuck, what's the cop's name? Um, 
Mustache McGraw. Hang on. Um, he is... is he Tom Fridley? The actor, I mean? Uh, oh, why can't I find him? He should be top of the list. Right? Yes, Tom Fridley. No, Court. no, Dave, that's, uh, that's Court. Sheriff Garris, who, of course, is named after Mick Garris. Yeah, right. I remember seeing that who, on... Uh... I... <laughs> yeah. I referred to disparagingly as the poor man's Frank Darabont earlier <laughs> in the episode. The guy, the, the guy you don't want to make your Stephen King movie. <laughs> David Kagan, right? Yeah, that's what I have. David Kagan, yeah. All right. But uh, um, I like the bit where he he adds the bit about, hey, listen, we know everything that happened to you, and that's really bad. Your whole family dying and everything. But you're a yeah. fucking kook. Now get out of here, kook. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it gives him it gives him a reason to suspect Tommy throughout the movie mm -hmm. and for him to want to chase him and arrest him put him out of action yeah suspect him for the crimes that are taking place so it gives his character the backstory of the last couple of movies gives his his character motivation it makes so. and it makes his job as cop easy yeah just to it's, just to it, think it's, it's this fluid. kid yeah. Yeah. But I also, I mean this is skipping way ahead, but there's a there's a moment that's not commented on at all at the end of this movie when he walks the cop walks into one of the cabins and it's just yeah. bathed in blood. Yeah. And you see the actor recognize, "Oh fuck, I've been wrong about a lot of shit for for quite some yes. time now." It's yeah, it's absolutely. cool to watch. Yeah, the 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 characters are not uh, by no just be, because they are comically heightened doesn't mean they're one dimensional. Yeah. If you do, and you, they don't need to be if you do it right, but you have to do it right, mm -hmm. or you end up with the diner owners at Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. <laughs> yeah, you got it in for those diner, uh, diner owners. But that's owners. the thing. It's like I, you know, I just you know, it's <clears throat> this movie shows that good comedy you have to work at it, but if you overwork it. It, you ruin it. Sure. It's like a good dough. <laughs> you know how many fucking times you have to knead it for it to be good? But if yeah. you do it one more time than you need to, it fucks it's the whole, fucked. The fault that it's gone forever. Yeah. That's true. And that's like comedy in this movie. Well, meanwhile, we got uh, Tony Goldwyn and uh, Tom McLaughlin's wife in real life. Oh. Riding down uh, a <laughs> dirt road. In a VW bug. Yeah, it's the the head camp counselors. Yeah, they're come they're they're coming to a camp near you. To... Yeah, and uh, the movies, you know, the the self conscious tone of the movie means they know what exactly what's about to happen before it happens. It's so great when because she stops. Say, I've, and... I've seen enough horror yeah. movies to know. <laughs> she says, "I've seen enough horror movies to know if you see a guy in a mask, get the fuck out of here." Yeah, and then he says, she says to him, you ain't Dirty Harry, stop it. Yeah, right. When he gets the gun out. And it all ends with a floating American Express card. That's good stuff. Even and, uh, before was... I watched the Camp Crystal Lake sure. memories where they talk about it in detail, yeah. I laughed out loud and thought, 1986, what a perfect time. Because you just know, some like in every single movie theater, somebody would have said, "Don't leave home without it." 
some of the greatest comedy that exists is when you allow the audience to write the punchline for you. Yeah. And this is that moment. Plus, he, you know, he allows the the credit card floating in the muddy water enough time. Yeah. To to have its own moment, so that right for some idiot to yell to, out, to, so it'll dawn on someone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really it's it's like it's uh playing to the live dimension of of uh, movies, which a lot of filmmakers wouldn't even think think of. Do. Right. Yeah. Uh, not to mention. Um, we mentioned when we did our ba- uh, Patreon episodes on Batman, mm-hmm. there was an America. There was the verbal equivalent of this gag, literally the reverse, where they say it but don't show it. <laughs> well, they say don't leave home without. Yeah. It. And I found another one, and I'm oh. desperately trying to remember what film it was in. It was I I, I very much suspect because I've seen a lot of horror movies in the past few days. Um, it was. Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> Fantastic. But I can't be a hundred percent sure, and I have a feeling I might be. Uh, that might be my prejudices speaking. <laughs> I definitely know a credit card calls a guy an asshole in that movie, but it, I'm pretty sure there's an American Express joke as well. Had you so already seen that movie? Everything. No. Okay. I was, I was surprised by that choice from you. You're you're posting. What you're watching? Yeah, yeah. I'm focusing on movie, movies that are not sequels. Yeah, horror movies that are not sequels, and that I've uh, most of which I've never seen. I'm doing the same. Uh, def- definitely. M- maybe I mean, more sure fifty-fifty that... on seen, not seen. Although I, I'm sure there is a Maximum Overdrive too, but that is not a movie that needs any kind of sequel. <laughs> uh, Could be in our life someday. But it, but it is proof that. Uh, the cocaine really is the productivity drug. <laughs> All right, back to business. Anyway, we're not ta- we're not talking, but let, let you know everything that we suspected about American Express cards having their having their moment in the right. mid to late eighties is definitely true. Let me ask you this: Oh well, you this wasn't your first watching for as it was for me. I can still remember my first watch. Okay. But was it years. was it early enough? Like when you saw Tony Goldwyn, did you think Tony yeah. Goldwyn would be with us for a while? Because I didn't I, really I always, realize I, how early I, I in always, his career this was. So I think yeah, my today brain was on. I agree. Yeah, I I use my today brain as well. <laughs> yeah. and I assume that this is pre Ghost. What a great! It's a great. It's kind of a great bit in and of itself, though, because it's like a javelin throw, <laughs> except yeah, over his back. With Tony Goldwyn's body, mm-hmm. after his his bravado moment, yeah, it's it's, it's it just reminds you it's class all round in this movie. Mm-hmm. People who would go on to greater things, and people who should have gone on to greater things, yeah, right, but didn't. And then uh, we, my next note is about the gravedigger, <laughs> who is uh, crazy Ralph meets Hamlet. I think. Yeah. <laughs> 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 speaking to the literacy of both right. in this kind of country i think he's you know it's like wh- what if what if a uh, crazy ralph was uh, the, the grave digger from hamlet that's great uh and he looks directly into the camera oh down the barrel <laughs> but i've never i've never quite seen it work so well no i mean it's way better no, than jar jar a... staring down the barrel of the camera for no reason 
Yeah, well, there's there's no agenda behind it, is yeah, there? Yeah, right. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's that's true. It's so fluid as well. It's just like you know, it reminds me of uh, in the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode of The Simpsons. Yes. Do you? When, yeah. Or can you? Do- yeah, Doctor Hibbert. Dr. Hibbert. Points as if he's pointing to the audience, and then they they flip they flip around the camera and reveal well whatever whatever Chief they do in animation. That's yeah, my job. I'll give it a try. My job, I guess. <laughs> so it sort of feels like you know he could also just be addressing someone who he thinks is there but isn't there. True. At the same time, but but it also kind of reminded me of what you said about on two because you were talking about Steve Biner and how he was doing. Uh, 3D better in that movie yeah. than in the 3D movie, and this kind of reminds me of that a little bit, you know. Not that it's in 3D, but it it almost feels, you know, it's yeah. the breaking of that fourth wall. You know, it you, like as a it's director, been it's been done. You got to like pick your moments, but he picks one that works, and I think part of it is the old actor that he's got. Yeah. Well, part- you know, Miss Mr. Minor tear down this wall. And uh, <laughs> look what they, look what it left them with. They can now look directly into the yeah. audience. And then you know another another amazing plot turn in this movie that is entirely Kids. vindicated. Kids, <laughs> you know you you're you're way ahead of me. But it's interesting because the last movie reactivated the Who Done It, and then this movie is reactivating having an actual summer camp in yeah. progress. Except that. We never went as far as having kids in the summer camp, right? Except, I well, I, you've seen Friday the Thirteenth more recently than I have. Are, are they? Is are the kids arriving soon? Is that the idea? Or no, I mean, they're still prepping. So it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, how long does it take to train to be a counselor? It seems to well be in that movie, it's not like they're being trained. Out. It's more like, hey, let's get rid of this stump and let's buy the groceries and let's set the okay. camp up. But it's uh... you do feel as though the kids are like days away, but right, yeah, and obviously we see the camp when Jason was there mm-hmm. as a boy, which again, best not to think. Yeah, about. no, best not. Here's another thing I'm going to say: unsold uh, in a positive light for this movie, though. I think it's pretty clear. It feels obvious that it's not the same location as the first movie was shot in. But yeah. it feels like the same location. There's something that yeah. I think Tom McLaughlin's doing in which they, I, I, I would give the movie a full pass where it yeah. really does feel like it's the same place. Well, it's the I think it's all about the kids. I when when you see them getting off the bus, you're like, holy shit, they're really gonna do this. <laughs> I laughed solidly for about ten minutes the first time I saw the really? when. when <laughs> Because there's so many of them as well. That's true. And McLaughlin knows exactly how you're going to react. You're going <laughs> to have this mixture of, of of laughter and horror. And that's what he's going for throughout the entire movie. So it's just the perfect balance <laughs> in this image. And what it also does is it takes a, a, a movie that, you know, you could, I guess, impolitely refer to as a parody version of the, of the earlier movies... And gives it real stakes. Like this now has more stakes than any than of any the of the other movies, of course. Because kids are involved. Because kids, kids are involved. Die. A child might <laughs> die. Actual kids might die. And it's just a really clever move on all sorts of. It's problems. so smart. And when you hear McLaughlin talk about it in the behind the scenes stuff and the Camp Crystal Lake memories, 
where he says, you just want to bring up that idea. You just yeah. like, are they really ever like going a pregnancy. to, yeah. Are they really ever going to hurt a child? And just by having a child there, you're thinking about that the whole time. But they did, they did kill a pregnant woman about two movies ago. Yeah, they did. But we didn't know she was pregnant. <laughs> we, we didn't. <laughs> we knew she was pregnant. Decades later, when when we realized that wasn't a joke. Wasn't a joke. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. And then um, the paintball sales retreat. Oh, yeah. Which is just, you know, again, nothing wrong with broad comedy if you have the, the, the right the people for it. To do it. And the backbone of something intellectual around it, like this clearly here is satirical. Mm-hmm. It's about social, it's caricatures of social types. But it's also got a little bit of an agenda. We're talking about, about gender. And definitely, I like that. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. The like issues of power in society with gender. Mm-hmm. Also the, um, I, again, I don't know if, if, Tom McLaughlin wants you to write the punchline for him, but dead bands. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're like they put headbands. They gotta put on them the over their heads. Head. Yes, that's. It's a bit of a clue to, as to what might be coming. It's a bit of yeah, exactly. But it also points out the artifice and simulation that, that they're making a movie about killing. Right. In the same way that the paintballers are out there pretending to kill each other, but no harm is actually being done to them. And so, what a great choice of a device. Yeah. But and it's also, you know, it's in this scene where I really started to fall in love with the movie. All the jokes that this portion of the movie have are pitched at just the right tone. Right. So, (laughs) you, you know, you have a woman kill two guys. They're clearly upset that they're dead, but they're they're at least in good spirits with her. Yeah. They all three get their heads lobbed off. Right. And that final nerd with his paintball gun when he shoots Jason, Jason stops dead in his tracks and just sort of looks down. Yeah. Right. Oh, I fucking love it. So he runs away and then you have the misogynist. This guy we it's the first time we're seeing he's going to be in our lives and out of our lives in under 30 seconds. Right. But in under 30 seconds you want him to die because he's a misogynist pig. He's chopping yeah. bushes, talking about how he hates women and they shouldn't even be allowed out here. And when when Mike and Michael Myers, I keep saying Michael Myers, when Jason takes the him. The series also made the same mistake. Yeah, that's true. When Jason takes him and throws him against the tree. I mean, it's broad enough to get the blood yeah. against the tree with the smiley face, mm-hmm. which is... About as, you know, that's probably as broad as this movie gets. Yeah, agreed, yes. But for me, there's there's a double moment that comes next, which is Jason looks at the machete and turns it in his hand with a kind of, hmm, that's, that's a good killing machete there. Yeah. And then he pulls it up and the arm is still attached. Mm-hmm. And I lost my shit. Oh, I fucking fell in love with this movie at this time. I was like, Tom McLaughlin, you've got me. I'm in your thrall. And I like the idea of a lighter Jason. I like the, the yes. sort of... That we go to that. I also, but it doesn't lose the idea of Jason being quite literally a fish out of water. <laughs> because he doesn't understand what's happening. No, no. Here. 
He doesn't understand why these people are going around pretending to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, I just you know, and I mentioned this before, but it's top-notch physical comedy from from Tom McLaughlin's Mind Company. Yeah, you know, it just looks it looks so effortless, but obviously the timing is, you know, razor margins on every every move. Even like, and that's like what... even the tree stump, or not exactly. stump, but that you know that tree yeah. branch moment. That's a, that's a an actor doing a, a a physical bit of comedy that is a yeah. perfect bit of physical comedy. It is, yeah, yeah, and it, it, it when you do it properly, it doesn't look um, hammy, silly, hammy or silly yeah. or overwrought. <laughs> um, and it's this I, again. I know I've made reference to this a number of times, but this movie's screenplay is is excellently crafted. Mm-hmm. And one of the, well, not the, one of the first signs of this, but one of the, the key signals of this is killing the head counselors so early in the movie leaves a gap in the hierarchy at the summer camp. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, so now, now they now feel outmatched by the kids, and what, right, that, so they don't know what to do. Kids being taught by slightly older kids. Yeah. And so what I like is there is is it's not just you know it's horror comedy working together mm-hmm. in the true sense of the word because the horror of those of those um, counselors being killed leads to the comedy of these kids being un- these teenagers being unable to discipline. That's another children. good hard cut moment because at some point one of the counselors says, "What's scarier than Jason?" Yeah, and then she points behind them and the bus full of kids come yeah, yeah, rolling up screaming. Yeah. And the uh, the kid who's the kid with the headphones, I made a note of him. That's the teenager guy, the yeah. older, the, like one of the counselors. I really like, and again, he is very this... winning as a performer. You know who that? Yeah. Do you remember who that is? In in real life, life. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. It was I John don't. Travolta's cousin? I believe they said that on Camp Crystal Lake Memories. Oh no, I'm thinking of. What was the movie? Oh, it was a Bad News Bears with uh, the cousin of not Travolta, but someone from Happy Days. Scott Baio. Yeah, Scott Baio. There you go. Yeah. That that that's <laughs> similar kind of. Let's get those two in a movie together. Yeah. But I just love his ability to be pointedly comic yet natural in delivery. Yeah, me too. I and thought the same thing. Just, when he's surrounded by what, the rocks with the kids all around him and he's explaining about squaws. That monologue is it's amazing. It's fucking great. <laughs> but that's what distinguishes this from prior attempts. Like when, when you start with, and this is something, you know, I've been watching lots of, um, uh, I've recently rewatched the the Gary Shandling documentary and the, oh, yeah. about the making of the Larry Sanders show, and sort of says that you know when he auditioned people, he didn't evaluate whether they could do comedy or not. Mm-hmm. Like he just said, "Be nat," you know, just do it, yeah. just be natural, just talk to me. And I, it feels like the same with this guy. It's like you know, yeah, it, totally. It just went, just tell me a story, and the comedy comes from that, but. You know, when, when you... And I don't mean to speak ill of the other movies, but... But you will. You know, with, like, Cheech and Chong, who who I actually quite like, mm-hmm. and the diner owners, and, you know, it's, it's sort of like you've started with a comic principle in mind. Yes, And you right. work back from that. This is the opposite of it. You just... You start with a, a character, you, you flesh them out, and they sort of naturally become funny. Well, I, and I prefer that, but it's funny, because yeah. when I think about 
five, you know, I think you start with an idea and you work back, like you said, but like with Mama, I found that a rather winning performance. With Junior, I didn't. I don't. I, I don't. I don't have an opinion on on those two. I think they. You just they're in their own movie, and that's all you have I, to say about it. I, I yeah, I don't know whether it's good or bad. I genuinely don't know. I think it's the actor that makes it funny for Mama. She is yeah. She is taking special care to make literally just with inflection yeah. certain words funny that makes it it becomes a good performance. But it's but it's this is always much more better. This is oh like yeah. what's happening in this movie is far it's better. Yeah, and then there's a sort of, yeah, and it's interesting because it, it's different from the approach certainly of a five and three, which is more based around step broad stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And four is kind of not even it's different again because it's just like it's just letting people be themselves, be themselves, be people, yeah, be quirky individuals, and that quirkiness just kind of spills out mm-hmm. and. But here it's very controlled and very scripted and very choreographed. Yeah. But to to the effect of not feeling that way. Right. But you can tell ton, so much work went into every comic moment in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, at every stage. Gravedigger. Yeah. Proves himself. So these a are these are elf. a couple of uh, scenes added because they wanted more deaths. So we kill the grave. Digger and a newlywed or a newly engaged couple. Yeah, and it's interesting. Up until this point, Jason's attaining a near perfect record of only killing those who are kind of bad people for the world. Yeah, right. Because he's killed the misogynist guy uh-huh. who, who you know, in his own parlance, was asking for it. Yes. And now he's killing this grave digger who's who you know is is. Uh, creating a lot of human misery by being throwing you know, tommy uh, under the bus yeah and clearly you know that 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 speaks to a history of lying to people about the state of their loved ones so right you know no one no one's gonna shed a tear over this guy well and he originally was supposed to make it to the end of the movie because mclaughlin had written a thing about jason's father jason's dad yeah, yeah coming back probably best I, I think they made the right call. Another, another best left unsolved, I think. Even when Coughlin had copped to the idea of... It was probably a better... like It was a cool idea, but better to leave him out of it and not kind of try to revamp the story with Dad in mind Well, and for, then the, proof for of, the, the next yeah. sequels. And the proof of that is every modern-day franchise movie. Yeah. <laughs> Grind that axe, friend. Grind that axe. You've seen this movie more recently than I have, so decipher this for me. Killed as they depart. Fun inversion of the usual chase scene. They're killed in the time it takes to get on the bike together. Who's this in reference to? That's the newlywed couple. They get the machete through both of them. So, uh, clearly... uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, they were killed in the time it takes to get on the bike together. I guess... The inversion is that once they get on the bike, you think that they're going to get away mm-hmm. or at least start to get away. But of course, they just get their throats like instantly. Because yeah. and then it makes you think, well, because he yeah, sees. Why, why doesn't that happen more often in a movie? Like, because you've got to slow down to start the bike. So you're essentially stopping. So, well, it's, and it's, it's one of those things where I think McLaughlin, you know, he's, he's 
being pretty playful here because we watch the 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 husband, not husband, but you know the the male of the of the newly of the newly engaged. That yeah. He he hears a sound, and it's the sound of the grave digger being murdered. So he sees it's pretty pretty funny actually because he sees Jason over the body like taking his yeah his you know machete back and the body's kind of hopping with him, but he screams and runs away. It it the way it's shot it makes it seem as though he's got a pretty healthy head start. Yeah. He gets back to you know his his wife That's to be. Right. They run away, and they're going at a pace in which you think. Okay, they're safe. They're gonna get on the bike. But he's, right, exactly, he's on yeah. top of them so quickly, you don't see That's it coming. Great. It's really good. That's it's beautifully done. Yeah. Then, then we go. We go back to the camp. We see the kids. Kids are having nightmares, heads. I believe. Yeah. One of them's reading "No Exit." No. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Another uh, good is, bit. Yeah. And, I think and, we already know, passed it though, right? Where because Tommy was at the gas station from Garlo- Karloff's. Uh, Car- yes, Karloff's um, whatever store. I don't think we're quite there yet. Oh, okay. Um, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Karloff's general merchant. General, yes, yeah, that's it. And they're playing a <laughs> they're playing a a um, Jason Voorhees card game. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that it, I think she's just kind of making up on the spot. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's reflecting on the commercialization and the gamification of the mm-hmm. slasher. Yeah. Which, well, you know, looking back on it, I'm sure it read in 1986, but looking back on it now when you know that Friday the 13th has become a video game and right. TV series, literally every merchandising opportunity, <laughs> uh, it, 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 that, that line has really resonated through the years. Or that, that scenario has really resonated through the years. Sure. I like the camper van fucking. Yeah. Well, because that Nikki... Well, you know, it, yeah. The, it, Tom McLaughlin's got a really light touch with actors. And this is one of my... Is this movie suitable? Ironically, is this movie suitable for kids moment? No, of course it's not. But right. What if it, what if it is? Um, it's just that the sex delivered with more panache and humor than it normally is. Like it doesn't Exactly right. Creepy. Yes. No. <laughs> Everybody like involved having, seems like, like they want to be time. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> having, you know, he's the he's, oh boy. What a difference it makes! It makes such a difference. He's literally just trying to last long enough because she yeah. wants to last ten more minutes to the end of this song. Yeah, uh, she is actually uh, what's her name? Darcy Demoss, I believe, is her name, mm-hmm. and she's from "Can't Buy Me Love." Okay. And I think she's the woman that Patrick Dempsey waited a long time to see boobies for. Uh, I don't think we okay. get to see her boobies in that movie or this movie. And it's to this movie's credit. Yeah, totally. You know what else I like about it is because off screen she said they had realized there are no boobies. Asked her, hey, how do you feel about boobies? And she's like, well, I already signed that contract. And they were like, okay. But yeah, good, good for her. And the, but that's another great thing about the change in tone here and, and the change in horror style is that you, you you know, you don't have to rely on nudity and voyeurism in the same way that you did in the previous movies. Yeah. There's enough going on with the horror and the comedy. 
Right. You don't need it as an extra pleasure. And oh, you know what? I mean, this is off topic, but <laughs> I, I, I'm remembering. You just saw a squirrel? What, what, no, what, 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 I'm remembering Camp Crystal Lake memories, and I'm remembering uh-huh. that she actually was up for the part that I'm forgetting her first name, but Miss Voorhees took in the fifth movie. Oh. And they did not give her the part because her boobs weren't big enough for Mr. Danny Steinman. And, you know, when you see her at Camp Crystal Lake Memories, you think, those boobs are plenty big. They're, those, they're you know, like, Danny Steinman were, is, was a certain kind of fellow, but well, anyway. Were, those th- Think about it. Th- these were two very different sets. Yeah, right? absolutely. You couldn't get two more different sets. I <laughs> no. I bet I bet going to work with uh, Tom McLaughlin and you know seeing him see see him in Camp Crystal Lake Memories kind of reinforced this. It's probably like going to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory every morning. Absolutely, and they were on location. They talk about that, how close they yeah. were, what a good time they had together. You didn't get that and sense. I think, in I think five. Danny Steinman was probably like you work at an abattoir. That was the kind of feeling. Yes. <laughs> Just like this rendered horse meat take your pants long. off and fuck her we left the set hours ago oh i'm sorry uh, <laughs> we we wrapped six weeks ago yeah. danny what are you still doing here there's a lot of fucking fun shit in this rv uh oh the face in the side of the truck yeah so well, good which is Manages to still feel visceral, but it's incredibly stylized. I even like before that. I really like the moment where, where the, uh, I'm forgetting what's that guy's name. What's the guy's name? Is he Jason? No, that's <laughs> <laughs> literally couldn't think any other name. Could you? <laughs> he is not Jason. This is not helping with me trying to stay alive. You know, oh, that's funny. All this laughter you're creating. <laughs> Maybe he's Larry. That was a. I that's one of my favorite sitcoms of the eighties. Maybe it's Larry. <laughs> anyway, he gets out of the RV and Who left the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> Maybe it's Larry. I have a story, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on. Uh, about about a guy called Larry or a turd in a punch. No, bowl? just a, a similar type of show. Involving John Madden that we wanted to create, called the Madden oh. Madden Mysteries. I'll save it. Madden. <laughs> How good a show would that have been? You you should save it if only for the reason that that show could still exist on primetime of any network within the United States. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, have, you seen, I... have you seen the Rookie? Of course, that show can fucking <laughs> exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people aren't letting the rookie go. No. Obviously, Madden Mysteries can go. But anyway, it's just a it's a small it could moment. Be as big as the Cosby Mysteries. <laughs> and even better remembered. I'll tell you I'll tell you the first case they should solve. But <laughs> he gets out of the RV. And there's no, a I mean, the, the, the show's just over in the pilot. Yeah, it ends up with Bill Cosby catches going to himself jail in the first episode. <laughs> Turns out I've been raping women for years. <laughs> anyway, let's he, get back on track. <laughs> please, he's walking out. He's walking out of the RV, and McLaughlin's got it kind of shot 
tight on him as he's mm-hmm. walking towards the front of the RV and they round that corner and it kind of pushes in on him on the character looking around the corner. It's yeah. very cool shit. Uh, it's great. And then once that they get back into the RV and get on the road, like you said, I love, you know, it's kind of, it's funny, scary and Hitchcockian when he yeah. pulls her into that bathroom on the, in the RV and you get the overhead mm-hmm. shot. And she's legitimately fighting for her life. They're not making that part of it comical. No. That's the key, right? It's, you That's know, how you do horror comedy. It's really good. Don't you you can't the horror can't be at the expense of comedy or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It has to, they have to be both working at full pelt the whole time. Well, on top of that, I mean we talked in four about great stunts. Mm. This R V flip? Or not yeah. flip, but crash. It's one of the right. coolest things I've ever seen. It's magnificent. Followed by the shot of him standing on top of it as it's burning. Jason on top of it. Yeah. With the music, gothic as it is. It's fucking right. so good. All yeah. Everything about it. You know, that's when I thought, holy shit. Because, you know, this is the last movie. And I thought, yeah. holy shit, I think this Finally is my we're favorite. <laughs> this is yeah. the sixth one is the one to beat? I did not see that happening. Yeah, and I can't I mean I, I don't know if it Oh, I don't know, maybe it happens more often than, than I think because we've we've covered two examples of that so far. We've had Rocky Balboa and mm-hmm. um and Star Trek. Not that it's the best, but it's a fine, fine movie, Undiscovered Country. Yeah. Interesting. Well, food for thought. Food for thought. We'll All have right. to pay more attention to part sixes in the future. Maybe. Yeah, we're going to have to start keeping account. Uh, uh, and, let's take a break. Okay. And, <laughs> I'm going to cut you off and say no more. And we'll take a break and we'll come right back. Okay. No, don't be so disappointed. I, I you know. <laughs> it's not like you're not going to get a chance to speak. You, you, I know you're doing it. I know you're doing it for the sake of my health, but still. <laughs> no, I stopped caring about that ten minutes ago. <laughs> now you're just like, this is a really good way to shut him up. Pretend like I, could, <laughs> I care, care about his well-being. Yeah, we'll be right back, everyone. Right after this. <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out 
Tuity Fitness, Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. We're back. Tom and I are here finishing up with uh, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Well, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. You know what you, I uh, correct to. You know what I love too, because I'm looking at my notes right now. I love that at, I you know obviously it's after he kills the war games people. Yes. I love that Jason has like a murder utility belt. Yeah, it's very Batman sixty six. <laughs> it's very it? cool. I really like that a lot. Well, that's interesting because something we go back at this point to the occultism book. Which I feel is a kind of quite an Acme style prop. Oh, it's so good! I love that. It's like the, Tommy's going to solve the, you know, yeah. like McLaughlin has said, I just want to come up with some rules, and so yeah. the way that he does that is Tommy comes out of a bookstore, but it seems like it's midnight. I can't figure out if is it midnight or was it that daytime when he did that. Still, I don't remember. Well, you watched it today. I don't know. Maybe it was a uh, Ray Stance's. Uh, <laughs> Bookstore, which is open till at any rate i just love Saturdays. that the basis of how we're gonna kill jason is he goes in he gets three books he puts two aside and turns yeah. one page to the occultism cut that's like yeah. literally all we need it's it's, it's a literal fucking great yeah, it's a li- literal shortcut because we've got a now jason is unkillable we've got to get a bit more inventive about how we kill him mm-hmm um, and this takes care of it. Also, what strikes me at this point, when the, one of the characters said, Tommy wants to prove the legend is true. This storyline is literally the opposite of the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> because now he's not a co- Like, everyone thinks he's a copycat, and he's now he's not. Right. And that's uh, There is no copycat. It really is Jason, yet everyone just thinks it's a, <laughs> it's a copycat killer. So. <laughs> I also like that Jason shows back up at the camp and McLaughlin. He kind of pans left a little bit on signage at Camp yeah. Crystal Lake or whatever it is now. Evergreen? What is it? Forest Green. Forest Green, yeah. I mean. And there's all these... <laughs> you have Jason, this zombie figure, kind of <laughs> mindlessly yeah. walking down the front slope of this camp next to signs that say, Friendliness, Sportsmanship integrity courage self-reliance and tolerance <laughs> yeah it's beautifully done the, the satirical oh. uh, quality of this movie is really really great this is where you get your carlos general merchandise as well mm-hmm. and a great speaking of the kind of uh sort of uh, pro-women anti-misogynist tone of this movie uh, Sissy's reading a male erotica magazine called Men at Play. Yeah, I so saw it's that. quite literally reversing the male gaze from all the previous films. Right. Uh, so it's good to know that that uh, Tom McLaughlin's on the right side of history. <laughs> yeah, I think so. In addition, Sissy's going to get her head spinned off. Well, that's. I mean, that is something that's worth remembering about these movies that 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 they go. 360 in terms of the kind of movie they're making but the they go 360 and how far they'll turn their head around well literally quite literally <laughs> yeah but the kills maintain their qualities in terms of effects and makeup totally absolutely but they're linked to punchlines 
Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. The difference isn't that you're getting a less impressive kill moment. Mm-hmm, yeah, just getting it done. You're getting it done differently, but you're not losing anything in the process. No, which is really hard to do when you introduce comedy to to anything. Sure, because you're gonna get her her little fuzzy bear slippers falling off her feet as he yanks her <laughs> yes. through the window. Yeah, exactly. But it's immediately followed by her head being turned, kind of Linda Blair, Exorcist right. style. But then you get this great close up on her eyes. Where you, you, I literally think to myself, is that her real face or a, or a puppet yeah. or a head like a built? That's head. it. Yeah, yeah. You, you. It's, it's kind of, it's. I, I mean, I, I said I quite enjoyed the fact that they went straight into overstylization when they did in part three when they did the eye popping. Mm-hmm. But this is more restrained than that. Yeah, and funnier. Yes. So the, Tom McLaughlin has figured it out. He's figured out how to how comedy horror works. Yes, right. And you know, again, just and again, you know, the com the, again the rules of horror comedy. The comedy's got to be good. The comedy's got to be the best it can be, and the horror's got to be the best it can be. The speeding sign with the car careering around. Oh, really good. Yeah. And <laughs> he's locking into this idea of. And we've talked about this in various forms over the years. The visual irony of foreground and background. It made me think of you know that example of that you talk about uh, from Hot Shots Part Deux with the presidents in the background. Yeah, right. The Zuckers were once asked about this, like you know, using the background of shots to to do something fill the frame, contradicting and, what was yeah, right. in the foreground. And they said they got it from Hal Ashby in oh. Harold and Maud. So Tom McLaughlin's locking into a pretty, yeah, hefty, pretty good. comedic lineage here. Yeah. These kinds of, I just rewatched Harold and Maude. Not too long I mean, ago. I don't, I don't think Kyle Ashby's ever done a sequel, but he may be one of my favorite directors of all time. Mm-hmm. Being there, I think. Is Being there, I was just going to say, is movies of all time. one of the best. I understand. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, and yeah, the the you know police car chase to rock music with crotch crotch shots. Crotch shots, yes. Yeah. Repeated crotch shots. It's like I'm I'm all on board with this being like a saucy action comedy romp. Like there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I think mm-hmm. that's what's great about this movie is it it <laughs> there's, there's more than one way to to slash a neck. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and you know we're we're six movies in, we have to get creative. Yeah, and, and I an- think that this movie answers that call. I think. Yeah, I that's what I was just yeah. gonna say. I think this movie, you know, it requires it by the time you get to six, and this movie does answer that call. Jesus, I, I, I think I might have to <laughs> re-rank. change your mind. No, we we don't have to be the same. Go ahead, you're fine. Well, we wouldn't be the same because I'd still have four at the top. Oh, you were okay. I thought you. We're putting no, this towards spot. the top. No, but oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking about it now, and I, and I just, you know, is is it better than than having command of a camera in your first movie? Yeah, I, I guess you know those are the things that. No, I'll leave. I'll leave it where it is. But that I went back and forth on. 
this was just more impressive to me. But I kept doubting it is, myself. It is more impressive. It is more. Impressive. Was it like that because this was the first time I saw it too? No, it doesn't wane. Yeah. It's just, it's the perfect intervention, and in it. it's a perfect series intervention. Mm-hmm. It's like the re- it's like a really great episode turning point episode of a TV series. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, does you know, like the the college episode of The Sopranos or something where you just like it all clicks, and from then on, right? Well, that's not what happened. In the- <laughs> it's not plain sailing from then on. <laughs> but it feels like once the- when this movie's ending, it feels like it might be, and that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feels like this movie solved everything when in judging by the rest of the series it solved nothing yeah obviously the um they replay that so we you're absolutely right at the beginning of the movie we get tommy's boy who cried wolf story and then mm-hmm. we have the little girl being disbelieved yeah right constantly so there's there's variations on the boy who cried wolf story absolutely and I didn't mention, but the 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 camp the head camp counselor's getting lost in the woods is essentially Hansel and Gretel, as well. Yeah, right. You know, fairy tales and horror are kind of two sides of the same coin. Sure. Uh, once again, guess who understands that? <laughs> <laughs> the director of this movie. Yep. Um. Yeah, and I you get the sense when all all that the sheriff is saying, trying to convince his daughter not to go off with tommy jarvis which you know again i see his point yeah totally he's like tommy jarvis is a psychopathic killer and it's like the movie the movie needs to put the ending of the last film to bed before we distrust it like there's a you have to work through it it's not as simple as yeah i guess you're right i hadn't really any any modern day movie would do which is to say oh, it was a dream, or it mm-hmm. exists in an alternate timeline, or it's part of a multiverse. That's what they would say. <laughs> but but here they just go, no, it happened, and it really complicates things, but we're going to try and push through it. But we're pushing it. through it. <laughs> and that's why I respect this movie more than... Totally, but, you know, most. to the movie's credit, that the moment later that I brought up earlier, where, without comment really at all, just an actor looking at his face, realizing... I've made a big mistake because yeah. that last count, that last count counselor, boy, she really gets it. Oh, these, but that's the amazing thing. Like the, in this screenplay, these characters are not standing still. And yeah. Right. Events around them. They're part character. It's that, that beautiful symmetry where character is plot and vice versa. Mm-hmm. When that happens you, in the screenplay, you've created something amazing. Well, and not, you know, I, where you can't, you, where you like, look at it, you go, I can't tell if what I'm watching is plot or character. Yes, right. Because they're indistinguishable. But the amazing thing to me is is how quickly McLaughlin can introduce a character and get rid of a character and still have that. Yeah. The handsome police officer. Yes. Who's checking himself out of the window of his car and literally another cop says, let's go, handsome. And is it, actually, before that, in the chase, when he's he's saying, I've, I've you know, somebody just tried to get out of our uh, roadblock and, and they sped away. I saw, saw somebody duck and he gives the license plate. It turns out to be the sheriff's daughter's car. He says, I've got the whole enchilada. Well, enchilada. <laughs> and uh, according to the documentary, he really that was his favorite that. line. Uh, that's great. I mean, you know, when, there's a, when someone leaves a set happy. 
there's usually something good has happened. Yeah, right. right. And that's the something good that happened. And... But, I mean, we're going to find out about the vanity of that character. Two minutes later, he's going to be, like, kind of easing a, a, a young child, saying everything's going to be all right. And ten seconds yeah. later, his head's going to be squeezed so hard his brain pops out. Not that we get to see that, but... Sure. But in that, and, you know, in that moment, I also want to say... I, you know, sometimes the MPAA can work against you and that sucks. And I think sometimes it can help you because that moment, I think any other horror movie would have gone for a gush of blood and the small splatter that goes against Jason's own mask when he squeezes his head is fucking great. I love it because they cut right after it. Again, editing in this movie, I think, is a, a... big strength they've just got so many different options of what they can do that getting a scene getting a kill like a a bloody kill cut is not going to hold them back yeah right this there's literally that they could they could reinvent that scene any you know a hundred different ways with the with the talent that they have yeah this that's on show and, you know, at this point in the movie, I'm reminded that we're operating on a different horror logic. And again, I think this is a good thing. We're not narrowing down to a final girl. Yeah, right. This is the horror of the monsters on the loose. Mm-hmm. And the townspeople have got to fight it. Yeah. That's the that's the movie, uh, which is Frankenstein, which is, you know, of course. somehow all... I've been watching, again, I've been watching a lot of those universal horror movies and they're all just monsters are on the loose yeah right regardless of the source material there's a wolf it's an invisible guy yeah it's always the same (laughs) and yeah i love the (laughs) i love the turn to kind of romantic comedy in these scenes as well where tommy tommy and megan are play acting romance yeah right it kind of really and then it turns into romance which again is a great sort of like Art, you know, artifice versus reality moment that these these movies do quite well, but I like that it's there's this genuine there's something there's something behind it which is kind of discovered in these scenes in the moment, right? Yeah, and the last thing I expected to come out of this film was for Tommy to find love in the course of this screenplay. Totally. So what a delightful what a delightful twist to the tale, and I mean, and I what, assume they're still together. I that's what I would assume to this too. day. And I, well, I'll save it for the end because it I, it speaks to what you're saying right now, but it happens at the end. Uh, yeah, I won't I, I won't forget this particular mystery box. <laughs> I promise. You know, yeah, you don't have a great record on this. I know, I don't have a great track record. Is it a mystery mime box? <laughs> it is not. Oh, it's I'll remember by the. By the power of J.J. Abrams's inability. <laughs> well, in my notes, Jason is walking slowly towards a little girl, and I actually wondered if that if somebody was a child was gonna die. Yeah, they they go right up to the line of that, don't they? Yeah. Um, and their refusal to cross it makes it a better movie. Of course. But I like that they play with play with the boundaries of of you know what is what is and isn't acceptable even in a mm-hmm. slasher movie totally it's like 
the idea that that would be crossing the line, given what we've seen so far in this series, is <laughs> is both fascinating and ironic. Yeah. Because we've seen so much horrific shit in so many different ways, and yet this is this is this is where we draw the lights. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like when you have a a movie or a TV show which is incredibly violent, and then at some point someone kills a dog, and that's the only thing people complain about. Right. Right. Yes. It's it's kind of a bit like that. It's like it's like well, why shouldn't the kids also be part of the slaughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. There, it's you know, he's a mindless okay. killer. Why, yeah. why would he take pity on a child? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's he not, just. He's, in fact, did we skip over? Did he just bend dad in half? Yeah, I'm not sure when that happens. It, yeah, it might have happened, but yeah, he he bends. That's right. He bends. He bends the sheriff in half, and that's a pretty good. For the people oh, that yeah. like kills, that's a good one. It is. There's there's a ton of good ones in here. Um. Uh, I'm I'm up at putting Jason back under the lake. Uh, yeah, well, be- right before that, because there's because <laughs> I don't know whether he was ever in the lake, but uh, <laughs> move the series has not yet made that clear. So I had know, another this, moment. This was a dream, or whether this fucking happened. <laughs> I had another moment right before that because he's hovering over that little girl's bed, and then yeah. Tommy is yelling at him from the lake. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, what's the what's the woman's name? Is it Megan? Yes. Megan's running back towards the cabin for mm-hmm. the kids, and Jason comes out. He's gonna pop her brain. He starts squeezing her head, yeah. and Tommy gets gets his attention. So he he lets her go and starts walking. And there was this moment where I thought I fucking love Tom McLaughlin so much because the camera's on her. She raises up. And the frame is filled in the doorway with children. And yes. suddenly two children enter from the backside of the cabin. And then one more taller child comes in and <laughs> fill the frame in yeah. a way where I thought this guy really knows how to put together a shot. And yeah. I fell in love with the movie one more time in that moment. Right. I don't know. No, you, you're dead on. You're dead on. And then we go to the boat. Yeah, so it, it's still unclear <laughs> how this was his final resting place. Given what's... <laughs> this is the first of his many final resting places, I sure. would say. Well, this is supposed to be the original death moment, but also yeah. because he brings it up earlier in the movie, it was 1957. <laughs> <laughs> the first movie takes place in 1979. Yeah. We've asked this before, but was he underwater yeah. all that time? We do not know. Yeah. Um, I guess this movie. If not, yes. what was he doing? <laughs> well, he was. He was clearly he was... a zombie if he got out of the water, but uh, he didn't seem right. to mind being a zombie just wandering around until he saw his mom's head get cut off. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it remains unclear. Um, I like the way that the hamsters are kind of like a cartoon commentary on the movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of keep cutting away to them, uh, very Looney Tunes on their wheel. Yeah. Oh, I well, I do want to give a little play to uh, what was this one of your? Was this your line in the uh, 
in the ranking episode the oh yeah what did you want to so, be or yeah, what so were you, you going to be, be when you grew up yeah the kids have got some some great lines here that's some good um, shit i you know the they, they try to pray jason away they keep checking under the bed like, yeah like he's the kind of monster under the bed which i think is great um uh they i could say i think we're dead meat which is mm-hmm. just like a great gallows humor to sort of and again you're sort of like you don't you stop seeing them as children at that point you start right. seeing them as because they've got a grown-up sense of humor so that that sort of changes the i also the like that tommy's in the boat like calling him maggot head and i think he calls him yeah. pussy <laughs> get down here you <laughs> pussy <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah, no, I, I've got, now I'm at the death of the sheriff, sheriff and I was like, like, this one really stings, like, the film does yeah. a good job of warming you to this guy. Right. That it, it really hurts when he, when, uh, when he's killed, which I, you don't necessarily feel about too many of the characters in the previous No, movie. yeah, you're right. But on top of it, after his death, you have his daughter constantly mm. calling for him, and that worry besets you know it really raises the stakes on on the sting that you felt when it happened and he turns into the creature from the black lagoon totally just walking straight Um, in yeah plug in all the classic universal monsters in this retooling Mm -hmm. and and yeah it's incredibly gothic underwater got the chain the it's so good fire yeah they filmed it in like three different places so i'm really impressed by the continuity of how it looks because it all looks you know like it's all the one spot yeah i mean and and again you know i'll i'll i understand that they 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 wanted a gory end for jason with the speedboat motor mm-hmm. at this point shouldn't really make a difference right he either yeah he's either trapped under the lake or he isn't it doesn't matter if his his innards are churned up by a speedboat sure <laughs> Uh, but they wanted to see the blood kind of pool around him, or yeah, come up, yeah, in, like yeah. the blood cloud. Uh, and this is this is like, I don't know, our first happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Tommy survives. The kids, the the central romantic couple survive. The kids well, and I'll here's my I I'm not gonna forget my mystery box. Uh, when they're together, you aren't J.J. Abrams, and they're they're holding each other. Yeah. There's a couple of moments where you can see, like, because her head is kind of in his shoulder, neck, head area, but he's yeah. kind of bent down where his head is basically on her arm. And you can see him kind of like kiss the sleeve of her mm. jacket, and you see her kiss him on the head in a tender way in which yeah. you th- it made me think these guys are going to make it they're going to stay together it's not you know it's it not will not be a speed two situation no and it's not melodramatic it's just it, it's actually, yeah it's the opposite it's kind of creeped up on you totally you you, you, you and it's know, the like it, it's the know, one it, mo- moment in the movie where i don't even know if mclaughlin had a hand in it it might have come naturally between the actors because of what he built on the set but I think, you know, the the movie kind of puts them together with an eye of doing this, but it sort of creeps up on you in a in a genuine affecting way that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. Because you don't, well, you've never seen Tommy happy in three movies. Sure, of, right. Of uh, Fridays. 
Except maybe uh, the beginning of the the fourth one when he's yeah, wearing when he his making, his first wearing his mask. He's wearing his mask and he's making his animatronic arms and everything like that. The last yeah. time we saw him happy. So you know, I, that's another big departure here is we get an affirming ending, mm-hmm. which you didn't see coming. Right. So uh, great job. <laughs> great job all round. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm serious. I'm, I'm going to put it in quotes. That goes on the poster. Great job. And, you know, it, again, because the movie is working against a lot of the conventions that we used to in the series, it, it's enough to just have the eye opening, right? To- like, oh, yeah, totally. That, that'll do it. You don't need any more than that. We know what's going to happen. It comes yeah. as no surprise. But now that the super plus, I kind of like the idea of him just unable to move. Well, I don't want to jump on next year's coverage, but isn't that pretty much how we find him the next time? Yeah, like isn't he just like kind of groping in the water? I don't know. I feel like he's kind of still, and then a a dad falling in the lake, kind of gets his they juices can, flowing. They can never just take the lead from the previous movie I know. in the series. <laughs> but now that the supernatural doors open, we don't need a resurrection. Mhm. Because anything is possible with him now. Sure. Um, he's got light he's got old man lightning strength. He does. He's yeah. got that um that greased lightning. <laughs> um yeah, it's uh so I think I, I, I'm not I can see an argument where it's like, well, it's quite an underwhelming uh kind of like jump scare to end the movie. But the point is we kind of move beyond that in the way yeah. the rest of the movie has 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 changed the kind of horror movie we're in and so this tiny little uh you know, this this brief moment is all we need just to kind of you know just absolutely cap, cap things off it's just a little button he's basically full zombie now he doesn't need to worry about breathing basically i mean he's you know he's full-on <laughs> lightning lightning <Yeah>. child <laughs> full-on percy jackson <laughs> is that something to do with lightning i think well i don't know it made me laugh okay <laughs> i got it i got it as a real reference <laughs> i think it's percy jackson and the lightning thief okay I refuse to confirm that either way. Yeah, I'm not going to look it up. No. I, I don't even like the real Harry Potter. I'm not going to go to a Harry Potter knockoff. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, credit check. Well, again, there's, there's there's not much in here, but to me, the the strength of this credit sequence is... The song. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so I mean, good. Man behind the mask. Alice Cooper. It's essentially again, it's like on on the back end we're doing what we did at the beginning with the with the gun barrel. He's being crowned as horror royalty here, right? Mm-hmm. By, by the only musician who's able to bestow that honor. Oh, totally. Man behind the mask crawling yeah. out of his hole. Fucking And what a what a great what you know, I mean, getting getting Alice Cooper to do the song for your movie pretty much in any context is remarkable although he, he did record uh, a version of the man with the golden gun believe it or not oh. um but be, 
the tone of Alice Cooper matches the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. Self-aware, metatextual horror that takes place in the context of modern pop culture. That's what the movie is, and that's what Alice Cooper is. So you've got this perfect marriage of of um, soundtrack artist and movie. I also like that he... The level of his commitment was such that he did three versions. He did like a oh, real heavy metal version. Wow. He did a rock version. And then the, it was somebody within, I don't know if it was McLaughlin himself. Like a reggae version? Yeah. Well, no, somebody just said that kind of, he, like Cooper himself said, uh, you know, that kind of upbeat, upbeat beat, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, but yeah. kind of playing with us along in the song he was like that that's what the song needed because that's the movie yeah yeah it's, you know uh, it, it it's definitely has to be as playful as the movie is yeah um the only other credit i noticed and this is just because i found out what it was uh honey wagon driver do you know what a honey wagon is no it sounds familiar though Okay, essentially this means the person that drove the shit truck. <laughs> okay, then yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> I was like I was like, I wonder what it's like honey wagon driver, I wonder what a honey wagon is. Looked it up and it you know, it was just like pages pages and pages of Google was just like shit coming out of trucks. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a it's a truck that picks up your shit, basically. You know, with All the right. tube. You know, when it, it you get the tube and you suck it in and I don't know if you've ever been like at a at one of those kind of um food truck kind of uh pop ups. Yeah. And then the honey wagon will come along and so, so you can take care of business. The of his... No, the honey wagon will come along and someone will stick a tube into a porta potty and then everyone has to leave the vicinity because it just smells terrible. Probably <laughs> like five minutes. Um so that's what a honey wagon is. All right. And that's the end of my credit check. Very good then. <laughs> Always end with shit, I say. Proof, proof that it will never become a syndicated segment. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Tom is reconsidering. You're going to have to tell us what you think. Really? I mean, I the the problem is I had, don't have a leg to stand on in terms of saying why this shouldn't be at least second. <laughs> right. In the rankings. I, I cannot think of a reason. Except for two other movies. Sure, but... (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. It's a good situation to be in. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you're going to have to tell us what you think and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and nothing else. Uh, Send that email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. His name is Tom Stewart. He's from Lonesome Whistle Productions. I am Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next, we're pitching. That's right. Ooh, very exciting. Talk about redundant. (laughs) That's great. There's another fucking six movies after this. What do you do with it? And what, yeah, like, where do you place it? We're not to to next year yet. We can make a seven. There's only one way to find out. That's right. Tune in. 
Yeah. Is that what you do on a podcast? Do you tune nope, in? No, absolutely not. That Very is good, exactly then. the opposite of what you do, but uh, <laughs> I think colloquially the message is clear. It's still getting through. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, that's Morse code, so that's not even not even linked to what you just said. So that's I know. Another, that's, why, that's why it's funny. It's not yeah. linked at all. Let's wind up the phonograph. Not to explain the fucking joke, but god damn it, Tom Stewart. I, I had had no choice. You, you, your joke had no logical principle. <laughs> it was definitely not Tom McLaughlin. That was the level. point! <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll be back to pitch next time. Thank you and good night. No, it was real. Just like on TV. <laughs> Thank God you're here mopping up the floor when I forget to throw it to you. Well, as as I aptly demonstrated when I continued talking, even though I was audibly dying, <laughs> I will not be stopped from speaking. Oh, I've been doing this a while. I know that. <laughs> I'm like Jason. Not even death will stop me. I like it. All right. Good night. That's right. <laughs> Just keeping you on your toes. <laughs>